We are finishing up uh, just a mini-series that we've done called Return. And last week, uh, we discovered that there was a guy in the Bible called Solomon who had this great faith in God, but he lost his focus on God. And what happened is his life turned around and he started following other gods. And eventually, at the end of his life, he was like, my life was nothing because I didn't follow God at the end of my life. And so we talked about losing our focus with God. Well, today we're going to finish this series up and we are going to look at someone else who many of you probably know in the Bible, uh, one of the greatest uh, men of the Bible. We're going to look at how he turned out away from God and what brought him back to God. But I've got a question uh, for you today. Have any of you ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time. You want to put your hands up? Who's been in the wrong place at the wrong time? Well, good. About half of you. The other half, congratulations. You know, you've, got, you, you're, you've stayed away from a lot of trouble. But I'm sure a lot of us, we've been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe you saw something that you wish you had never seen. Maybe you got roped into doing something that you wish you would have never done. Maybe there was the car accident or the sports injury, or maybe you got hit by lightning one time. That was all a result of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. On Good Friday this year, two days before Easter, we were having two services here uh, on, uh, on the Sunday. We were doing an event on the Saturday. And so my wife and myself, we, uh, we took off Good Friday and we went down to Washington, D.C., uh, just to, to relax and just to refresh before the big Easter weekend. And uh, we got down there and we realized that everybody else had the same idea of going to Washington, D.C. on Good Friday. I thought it was a federal holiday, so I didn't think there'd be many people around, but I was wrong. It's no longer a federal holiday. And so everybody else was around and we went, we were going to go to get some dinner and we decided to go to one of the museums and we we're going to go to the American History Museum. And so I'm driving around, and Alex is a little tight when it comes to parking because he refuses to pay for parking in a multi-story car park. I mean, I don't want to pay 16, 17, 18 bucks to park my car where there's a good, perfectly good spot on the road to park. And so uh, I decided to spend 30 minutes circling around the Washington Mall trying to find parking. Well, there was no parking anywhere. And then at the distance, I see this parking spot. I'm like, there's one. And I, I quickly go and cut some people up, maybe. I don't know what I was doing. But I, I pull into this parking space, and I'm thankful because it's like the only one for miles. Now, if you've never been to Washington, D.C., or if you've never parked in Washington, D.C., you know that there are certain roads that you can park on and certain roads that you can't park on. And then there's certain times of the day that you can park, and other times of the day you can't park. And so... I, I knew this because I've been in Washington, D.C. lots of times. I've driven around there. And so I'm looking. I'm like, where's the sign to say I cannot park? And I'm looking everywhere. I'm looking at all these signs. There's tons of signs. And I can't find one anywhere. All there was this rink of the old sign that says parking 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. So I, I got my change out and I put it in the meter. And I had enough for maybe about two and a half hours in the meter. And so I was all excited. We were right by the museum. And so we went into the museum and we walk around and we have a great time. And about two hours later, we walk out of the museum and it's still crowded. 
And then I look at the road that where our, par- our car was on, and it's empty. There's only people driving up and down, and there's no other cars parked on the road. And so I'm like, hmm, did I park in the wrong place? And so we're walking a little further, and suddenly my walk comes into a little, like, skip and then a jog and I'm leaving Raquel all the way behind and she knows what's happened. Our car is not there anymore. Now most people would be freaking out because they think their car has been stolen. But I know Washington DC and I know that it got towed. And so I'm looking there and I'm like, where was the sign to say I can't park? And then I don't know, I must have been blind or ready to get in the museum, but there was a tiny little sign that says, do not park between 4.30 and 7 p.m. on a weekday. So I call up the people, and I'll be honest, it was a little hard to understand the lady. Her American wasn't as good as my English. And so I'm talking. I asked her to, to, to repeat about five times. And eventually I figured out that they had towed our car away to another street. And so we walk, I don't know, about seven blocks. And we find our car on this quiet street. And I'm like, great, it wasn't put in the impound. It wasn't impounded. Well, I get there. And there's like a $200 fine and, uh, you know, but it was okay because it was Good Friday, right? So, you know, I, I kept my car. But I discovered my car was in the wrong place at exactly the wrong time. I mean, that's the definition of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But the problem in being in the wrong place at the wrong time is that 99% of the time, we can avoid it by making wise decisions. We can avoid being in the wrong place at the wrong time by making wise decisions, like choosing to park in a parking lot instead of parking on the street. Maybe not going outside in a thunderstorm, because if you do, the chances are you may get hit by lightning. But if you stay at home or inside, that's the wise thing to do. So there was a man in the Bible that found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. And because he found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time, his life started to spiral out of control. And if he had just been wise, he could have avoided the situation altogether, and his life would have taken a very different course. This man was a man called David. David was known for being a great king. He was the second king of Israel. He was a man who was often said to have a heart that follows after God's heart. He was also an ancestor of Jesus. He was in the lineage of Jesus' family. But before we look at what happened that night when he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, I want us to fast forward about a year to see what's going on in David's life. I said that David was a man whose heart followed after God's heart. However, historians will say that, most historians will say for the previous year, David did not communicate with God. In fact, David did not have a relationship with God for almost one year. Some say he didn't even say one prayer to God for that whole year. We're not sure about that. The Bible doesn't really say that. But what the Bible does say, it's going through the life of of David. And then there's this gap for one year in David's life. 
And so we're going to look at what happened to David, and at the end of this gap, what's going on in David's life. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to the second book of Samuel, chapter 11. The second book of Samuel, chapter 11. And we're going to start reading at verses 26. We're going to read verses 26 and 27. It says this, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace. And she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son. But this is the key word right here. It says, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. We see here four words that all of us probably should tremble at if we ever heard them say about our lives. And the words are this. The Lord was displeased. The Lord was displeased. They're talking about the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God that we worship, who we believe. Jesus is this God who came and gave his life. It says he was displeased with David. Can you imagine for a moment if someone was writing your life story and Then they get to one period in your life and they write it down and it was clear to them that at one point in your life, God was displeased with you. God was not pleased with you. Maybe you know of times in your life when that has happened. When you know that your life was not pleasing to God. You know that there's no worse place to be in this life than in a place that displeases God. That time maybe when God just becomes silent and it's like God isn't there. Maybe it's that time when the hand of God's blessing and God's protection comes off of you because he's displeased with you. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you know that things in your life are eating away at you and they have not pleased God. And you know that your life may be on hold right now because God isn't a part of your life. You can find yourself in these situations if sometimes you find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. So let's take a look at what happened to David. And I want us to go through three things this morning that happened to David and that can happen to each of us. And the very first thing I want to say is this. Temptation can lead you into doing something you would judge others for. Temptation can lead you into doing something you would judge others for doing themselves. 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 12, start reading at verse 1. It says this, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet. Prophet is someone who hears from God and then tells what he has heard from God. So God has spoken to this man, Nathan, and he's basically told him to go to David and talk to David. So it says that the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and the other was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb 
and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock, remember the rich man had lots of animals, instead of killing the animal from his own flock or herd, instead he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. He said this, As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. If he must, oh sorry, he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. So David's pretty annoyed with this guy right now. Verse 7 says this. Then David said, then Nathan said to David, You are that man. You are that man. Let me give you a little backstory. David was king of Israel. He was a good-looking guy. The Bible refers to it on a few occasions. I'd love it if, like, the, I was in the Bible, and it was like Alex was this good-looking guy. You know I mean? Wouldn't that be great, you know, people talking about you? That's what they talk about David. He was this good-looking guy. And he had his pick of all the ladies in the land. The ladies loved David. David was like, you know, God's gift to women. I mean, he was. So he had his pick of all the ladies in the land. He could have had all the single ladies in Israel that he wanted. But one night, he found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he looked upon a woman, and he saw a woman that he wanted, but she was not available. This woman was already married to another man, but David, being in the wrong place, at the wrong time, decided he wanted her. And because he was king and he could have anything that he wanted, he decided, I'm going to pursue this woman. A woman that another man loved. A woman that another man had given his all for. A woman who another man had stayed faithful to was now in David's sight. And something sparked in David's mind, and he ended up sleeping with that woman. I don't know what it is about guys. We do some stupid things at some stupid times. Sometimes we just don't think. Something sparks within us, and this is what happened with David. Something sparked, and he was not thinking. But yet, if anybody else had done what David had done, basically taken another man's wife, David would have killed that man. David would have judged that man and made sure that he would have righted the wrong. However, David found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it's amazing when we are in that place, how hard it sometimes is to resist temptation. For temptation can convince us that it is okay to do something that you would judge others for doing. Maybe you've got some things in your life that you look at other people like, how dare they do that? How, how could they do that? You judge other people for doing it. But yet, when temptation comes our way, sometimes we find ourselves doing the things that we never thought that we would ever do. You know what? Sin is so slick. 
that even the strongest person in the world can find themselves doing something they would have never dreamed of doing. However, most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time, it's because we are in the wrong place at the wrong time. And this is what happened with David. And temptation convinced David to do something that he would judge other people for doing. The second thing in this story that that we notice is this. Shame will cause you to cover one sin with another. Shame will cause you to cover one sin with another. Look what happened to David. 2 Samuel, verse 12. We'll keep reading. Verse 7. It says, Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. God says, I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you so much more. God was ready to pour his blessings on David because David was a man after God's own heart. Verse 9, it says, God says, Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Amorites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, David, I will cause your household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did this in secret, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. It's amazing what they say about little white lies. Some people say there's nothing wrong with a little white lie. But yet, little white lies eventually turn into big, giant, life-changing lies. Why? Because the more we lie, the more we cover lies with lies. And at our heart, when we do something wrong, we don't want to be found out. Shame is very real in our lives. At the age of 22, I had gone through a period in my life where I had turned away from God. And I was doing things in my life that I was not pleased about. God was not pleased about. And God had changed my life and he had brought me to a place where I had repented of my sin and I came back to God. And now God had renewed me and refreshed my life. And I thought, man, there's nothing stopping Alex now. God God is going to use Alex. I'm going to be totally open for whatever God wants me to do. And then at the age of 22, I found myself in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was a decision that I made that, looking back, I should have avoided altogether. But I had been totally healed of the stuff that was going on in my life and totally cleansed and God had forgiven me. And I found myself in a situation where I couldn't say no to something that was happening in my life at that time. And I fell into sin. 
and I became broken. And what I mean by broken is I just didn't feel guilty for a week and went on. Like tears came down my eyes every night for like six months. Because I had been restored from God by God. God had raised me and I fell once again. And there's nothing worse than being in a broken place. But there's something about sin that will do something to us. And that is what we call shame. And this stuff that I'd got in my life, I hid in my, life, in my heart. I didn't tell many about it. Some knew, but not many. And I hid it in my heart. That was when I was 22. At the age of 35, right? Well, 34 at the time. I'm 35 now. At the age of 34, my wife Raquel says to me, she goes, Alex, she says, there's something going on that you're not sharing with me. She says, there's something that you're just hiding away from me. It's like I can't get to the depths of your heart. There is something that is stopping us continually or growing in our marriage because there's something that you're hiding in your heart. Two days later, after she said that, I shared what happened to me at 22. I'd been so shameful of what had happened that I had hit it, and I had realized God had forgiven me, but I just couldn't forgive myself. And when shame is in your heart, it will eat away your heart and destroy your heart. I've had some amazing times with God since I was 22, and God brought me back to a place where he restored me, and God has done amazing things. But yet, for 13 years, I had that in my heart. And I remember the night I shared it with Raquel. It was like this big weight lifted off me, and she was just like, she goes, what was the deal? That was really no big deal. She says, it was 13 years ago. God has forgiven you of it. You've gone on. You've gone past that. Forgive yourself. And it was like this light suddenly came on because shame will destroy your heart. And this is what happened with David. David became so shameful of what he did. He had slept with this woman's wife. But what happened is sin has consequences. And what happened with David is he didn't just sleep with this woman. He probably could have covered the adultery. He could have covered that up. But what happened, the woman got pregnant. Now there's an issue. Now there's a problem. Because everybody's going to know that something has gone on with this woman. So what did David do? David decided to call the woman's husband. What, what, at the time, everybody was at war, and Uriah was her husband. He was a commander in the army. He was out fighting uh, uh, the, the nation of the Amorites for Israel, and he was out fighting, and David called him back to war to see if he could cover his little sin up. So David said to him, says, Uriah, go sleep with your wife. Because you've been a good guy. Go sleep with your wife. Go enjoy your time with your wife. But Uriah went home, and he says, how can I sleep in my bed tonight when I know my comrades, my army, is fighting on the battlefield? So he wouldn't sleep in his bed. David heard about it. David got really mad. David called him back, got him completely drunk. See how sin can just make you do stupid things? Got him completely drunk, says, go sleep with your wife. But Uriah 
was too much of a gentleman, and he wouldn't. So David was getting mad, and he realized, I need to cover this sin up. So he sent Uriah back to the battlefield. He was a commander in the army. And David sent a letter to the actual commander of the army, the general of the army, Joab, and he says, put Uriah on the front line of the army. And they're thinking, what? He's a commander. He shouldn't be on the front line. But David knew if he went on the front line, he would die. And that's exactly what happened. Uriah went on the front line of the army. The next day they went to battle. Uriah dies. Bam, the lie is covered up. David then invites Bathsheba, the woman he had been with, to come into the palace. He invited her to come in, and then he married her. And he's thinking, I've got away with murder. Sounds like, like NBC Dateline or something, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Like 24 hours mystery, something like that. But what will happen is that sin will cause you to turn to shame, and shame will cause you to cover one sin with another sin. And unless you deal and confront with shame head on, it will cause you to make unwise decisions, and some of those decisions will have eternal consequences. The third thing, and the last thing today that we'll see that happen with David. We've seen that temptation can often cause you to do other things that you would judge other people for doing. We've seen that shame will cause you to cover one sin with another sin. But finally, we find this on this story, sin cannot stop a repentant heart. Sin cannot stop a repentant heart. No matter what sin you have in your life, if you are repentant of that sin, there is nothing that sin can do to stop you from healing and God forgiving you. No matter how far someone's fallen, it's never too far from God. Yeah, the Bible says that God was displeased with David. But when David was exposed of his sin, he had two choices. He could run and hide. He could say, I'm the king. Get out of my presence, Nathan. Or he could confess his sin and change his heart. And David chose the latter. And what he experienced was the forgiveness of God. 2 Samuel 12, verse 13 and 14 says, Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. And you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, he says, Because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. Like I said, there's consequences for sin. But ultimately, David confessed, and you know what happened? God forgave him. But the story gets better. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 24 to 25, it says this. The baby actually did die. David grieved, Bathsheba grieved. It says, then David confronted Bathsheba, the woman, now his wife, and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, David. Uh, so gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child and sent word through Nathan the prophet that they should name him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord as the Lord had commanded. See, the reason 
David is said to have a heart that follows after God's heart. It's because he knew repentance was the key to life. A repentant heart is a heart that God loves. And so David repented. God forgave him. But then God has a habit of taking what was ugly, what was sinful, what was shameful, and turning it into something that is beautiful. See, Bathsheba became pregnant again. They gave birth to a son. His name was Solomon. Solomon became one of the greatest kings of Israel. He was the man who built the temple unto God, the temple in Israel. He became one of the wisest men who could ever live. And there's books in the Bible and the things that we do today. And the lessons from that book are because of Solomon. Because God takes what was ugly, what was broken, what was shameful and sinful. And he makes it into something beautiful. Because that is exactly who God is and the things that God does. Never let your heart go so far from God that it stops being repentant. It doesn't matter how far you've gone, how shameful things have become, how sinful, how how much you maybe have done in secret. It does not matter because God will never reject a repentant heart. Psalms 51 verse 17. I love this. It says this. The sacrifice, talking to God, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. David wrote that himself. But the truth is that God will not reject a broken spirit or a repentant heart. See, the problem for David is that all this could have been avoided if he had just been a little wiser. Instead of going outside with a metal rod in a lightning storm, he could have just stayed in a safe place and waited for the storm to pass. You see, David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. As we close, let's just fast forward back to the very beginning of the story. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. This is what it says. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, the general, and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rahab. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Notice what it says. At the time of year when kings normally go to war, David stayed behind. David was a king. He had a duty. He should have led his army to war. He should have led his army into battle. But no, David became lazy and he decided to stay at home. And there are times in our life when we want to just be lazy. And sometimes we don't want to make the wise decision. We don't want to do the things that we want to do. Or what God wants us to do. Instead, we're like, I'm just too tired. 
I want to stay. Maybe David was fatigued. Maybe he was worn out. But David should have never been in Jerusalem that night when he saw Bathsheba. He should have been at war with his, with his army. And instead of keeping his guard, he let his guard down. And while it wasn't a sin for David to stay at home, it wasn't a sin for him not to go to war. It wasn't wise. And unwise decisions, more often than not, result us in being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It may be in a relationship that we find ourselves in that we know that we shouldn't be in. Maybe we compromise our values so we can get ahead at work. Maybe uh, we start living a lifestyle that we know is just too close to the edge. And any moment we may just fall off that edge. Maybe we've neglected our relationship with God. And now the pull of other things in life is causing us to lose our faith or lose hope with God. Whatever it may be, there's good news. And the good news is this, God will not reject a broken spirit or a repentant heart. And last week we discovered that Solomon, for all the great things that Solomon did, Solomon lost his focus and he turned away from God. And he had, an, he had the opportunity to return to God, but Solomon was not repentant for what he did. And eventually his life turned completely away from God and there were dire consequences. But yet David, in the same position, he had messed up. And we all mess up from time to time. David had messed up, but David confessed and was repentant. Would he be like Solomon? Just turn away from God. Or will you be like David? No matter what shame and sin and stuff that's going on in your life, You'll come to God and you'll confess and you'll be repentant. And when you do that, God will forgive you. He will restore you. He will heal you. He'll take that broken spirit and he'll mend it and he'll make it into something beautiful. Because that is just exactly what God does. And there was a day when Jesus walked this earth and Jesus was arrested and Jesus was beaten. He was, had a, thr- a crown of thorns thrust on his head, and he was led up a hill called Golgotha, meaning the place of the skull, with this cross on his back. And, he, and then he was put by the Roman soldiers on this cross, and he went through literally hell so you could find forgiveness of sin. And it was on that cross that he stood there, and he, he, he died for your sin and for my sin. So that if we just come and confess to Jesus then uh, of our sins, then he will come and he will say, you are forgiven and you are free. But it all starts with us coming to God with these words. Forgive me. Forgive me. Let's bow our heads in prayer.